Hey, welcome back to Software Social. This episode is brought to you by Translate CI. Translate CI is a tool for developers that helps you localize applications with high quality human translations. It supports over 70 language pairs. Translate CI eliminates the need to work out of spreadsheets, hire translators, and manually merge language files. Instead, with Translate CI, you just use Git. Just connect your Git repo and Translate CI will pull out phrases and after a professional translator translates everything, they will merge into your existing code base with a pull request. And every time you push code to your Git repository, Translate CI will pull any new phrases out, translate them, and create a PR back. See how you can turn translation from a hassle into a breeze at translateci.com. Hey, Colleen. Hey, Michelle. Good to see you again. It's been a little bit. It has. Yeah. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I put up this survey um, of our listeners, mostly because we're getting like more advertisers who like don't, you know, they're not like not part of the community. They don't know us and they want to know stuff about like gender and household income and stuff like that. But I also was kind of curious about a few things. And today's episode is inspired by something I heard in that survey. Okay, so first of all, I put in like, you know, some basic demographic questions that advertisers will ask about. But then I also asked, what were you doing while you listened to Software Social last week? What leads you to listen to Software Social in the first place? And do you have any comments? What is your guess for what most people are doing while they listen to this podcast? The dishes. That is actually one of the top ones. So doing the dishes and going for a walk. And when I was making this, I was like, should I do multiple choice or should I do check boxes or like just open? And I was like, well, I listen to podcasts while driving or while doing the laundry. So that's probably what most people are going to do. So I usually like driving, laundry. And I was like, well, maybe people bike or they walk or like, and I was like, you know, I'll just make it free form. And it turns out that walking and doing the dishes are the ones that are automatically making their own categories because so many people are putting in the exact same thing. Nice. Just an interesting note of you go into a piece of research thinking you know what the answers are going to be and then it's totally different. So, so many nice comments from people about why they listen. Still amazing to me that we're doing this. We're what, 80 something episodes in? 80 weeks after we launched this? Yeah. Just passed over 50,000 downloads. That's wild. 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 Okay. Something came out of this that people also asked for when we did our little surveying on Twitter was they want to hear more about geocodio problems. So yes, we usually talk more about your problems because as more people are kind of in your stage of things and there's always interesting problems going on there, but people want to hear about geocodio. So fine. I'll talk about geocodio. This thing I've only spent the last eight years on, I guess I'll talk about. So do you want to workshop a problem with me today? I've got something I've been trying to think through. Apparently for like over a year, I just found, I would just pulled out a notebook actually to take notes while we talk about this. And I found notes and I'm like, oh, I made these at least six months ago, if not a year ago. Okay. And I remember talking to Matias and having this huge long chat with him about it like two years ago. So it has to deal with payments and credit cards and stuff. Okay. And so I have to give like a lot of background here. Have you ever used Geocodio? I have not. Okay. So basically there's two ways you can use it. You can either use the API or you can upload a spreadsheet. For example, let's say you are a marketing person and you want to make a map of where all of your customers are, for example, and you have this spreadsheet of addresses. You upload that to Geocodio and then 
we give you the results back. Like we give you a CSV file back where we've added on the columns with coordinates or maybe you asked for census, FIPS codes and time zones and school districts and something else, right? Like we add all of that onto your spreadsheet. And so the problem that I'm dealing with here is every month we have our pay-as-you-go plan. So we have pay-as-you-go, we have unlimited, then we have like custom like on-premise stuff on top of that. And for pay-as-you-go, since the very beginning, it's been that we roll up the usage for a whole month and then charge for it on the first of the following month. Okay. And we did that in the beginning because it was an API. And so if we were going to charge like every day, you know, somebody for 50 cents worth of usage or whatever, if you add in the 30 cents Stripe fee plus the percentage, that would have really dug into our margins. And so it just made sense for us to just do it once a month. We gave people a volume discount. Everybody's happy. The problem is that like every month we usually have 10, 20, maybe 30 uh, pay-as-you-go invoices with a credit card on file that fail. Now, usually the amounts are not too great. Like usually it's, you know, $5, $10, $20. If it's anything over $100, I chase them down. But this means that basically on an any given month, we have, you know, 10 to 15 payments worth maybe, let's say maybe $250 to $500 every month that we just lose because wow. the credit cards fail and we can't get in touch with the people. And even if we shut down their account, we never hear from them again. So first so, thing, I just want to clarify, people are intentionally stealing geocoding. That's no, no. Like, so, no? so cards fail for a variety of reasons. So okay. pretty often case is that like somebody first started using Geocodio like five years ago and then their card expired because it was only good for, let's say, four years. And they didn't know that it expired. And Stripe does this automatic dunning, which is this process of trying to recover the payments and trying to, you know, update the expiration dates and stuff like that. But sometimes it doesn't work. So like there's no malice intended. Another time it could be because they're if they have a corporate card, some like companies prohibit employees from using it for SaaS services, for example. So it could be that that, or it could be that they typed in the card number wrong. It could be their card could be declined. It also could be a prepaid card that didn't have enough funds. They could have just not paid their account recently. So like it does happen that you get an insufficient funds message back from Stripe and then you try it again a week later and it goes through and it's fine. So there's a whole ton of reasons why people's cards fail. I like to think that if someone is actively trying to be malicious, they're probably going to be one of the people who, you know, spin up a whole bunch of automated accounts to try to process spreadsheets for free and like, you know, hire a development team off somewhere to run it for free for them which happens occasionally is a whole separate kind of problem thankfully not a huge one but i like to think that if there's failed payments people aren't being malicious it's unintentional and that it's you know kind of on us to like make sure that like their card is good right so this is where i'm getting to this is that like i've as i've been looking at these i have noticed a couple of things i have a couple of anecdotes here first is that a lot of them seem to only have one charge and when i go and look at it it's a for their first charge They've only uploaded one spreadsheet. So I don't have okay. data behind this. Like I haven't actually run a report on this, but several dozen of them, it seems they uploaded a spreadsheet once. They thought they paid for it. Uh, and then so when I email them three weeks later saying, hey, like this credit card payment failed, they they don't think it's anything they need to pay attention to because they think they already paid for it. Right. And we didn't catch it then that, oh, like their corporate card doesn't allow this kind of charge or they typed in the number wrong or whatever that is. 
But then again, it could be API usage as well. And so we were kind of talking this through and it's like, we're basically giving people credit and they may not pay us for it. And we're giving them a discount for doing so. Like this is messed up. <laughs> like this is not happening. But then the risk is, is if we're already asking for a credit card, like let's say when they go process the file, you know, but then if we run the credit card right away, like what kind of problems does that create? Is it a net benefit for the business or does it create problems? In the old days, the old days of Geocodio, when our product was not as strong and, you know, we were dealing with all sorts of issues that Excel introduces, for example, for a long time, like it was pretty often that we would have to rerun someone's spreadsheet. So it was really awesome that we didn't charge right away because there would be hiccups in the process, just everything from, you know, like UTF-8 encoding issues or Somebody downloads a spreadsheet from Salesforce and it's in this really weird format and like we don't handle it. And we've had so many of those issues over the years, but we have dealt with a lot of them at this point that that benefit of not charging people right away, I think has gone away. Like it's really, really rare now that that we have some of those issues that we used to have. Um, but I think this is, you know, one of the things about running a mature business is that like every decision has to be weighed against all of these pros and cons. And it's not clear cut of, yes, this is obviously the right thing to do. It's like, okay, well, we could do this and maybe we have a chance of recovering, say, let's say $250 a month. But then are we somehow reducing conversions by doing this? Like, is there a downside here too? How does this change the user experience? You know, people have been using us for a long time without any issues who've been paying once a month, how will they feel about then having to get charged every time? Are they going to like that? They're going to have a lot of receipts now. Should we, we, we have a credit system where people can buy credits? Like, do we do this with the API as well? Do we let them stay on monthly billing? Do we force them to buy credits? Like most pay-as-you-go services do, like Twilio and a whole bunch of others, you have to buy credits. You can't just live on credit, so to speak. So is this just for spreadsheets? Is it for API? Is it just for new users? Should we just be more sophisticated about how we're handling credit cards? Like there's like a lot of directions this one little problem could go in. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. So if you were to change it and charge them up front, can you measure if you see a difference in conversions? Yes. Okay. We could. So we track when different events fire off when someone's uploading a spreadsheet. So like when they first upload it as part of the like there's like a whole upload flow that's like four steps long because they have to like confirm, you know, which columns have the address in it and then, you know, say if they want additional data and all that kind of stuff. So when they first drop it into the file uploader, which is where your heart is. So like that, that's an event that's saved. And then if it actually processes, that's an event that's saved as well. And so we could track, I don't know if we currently track whether the credit card add how like anything about that process. Of course, we also have analytics on the page but we've actually just thought about just deleting google analytics entirely because we never even look at it and if it's like privacy invading then like what's the point what's the point yeah yeah and we don't you know the big use case for using analytics is if you're running ads to track conversions but we don't run any ads so it's right so yes i mean we could track that i guess somebody who's you know uploading say a list of ten thousand addresses or hundred thousand they're already being asked for a credit card so it's not introducing any friction that was not there before. It's more that they were not being charged before. Right. Basically, if I want to use Geocodio, I come in, I give you my credit card. You basically let me do whatever I want for a month. And then at the end of the month, you say you've used X amount of credits. 
and you charge me for the credits that I have used. Is that accurate? So that first part that now sounds pretty crazy when you say it like that. Yes, is true. So you like buying credits is optional. So like you could make an account, make an API key, add a credit card to your account or not add a credit card account if if you don't want to go over the free tier. Yeah. Use it. And then at the end of the month, we'll charge you, you know, on the first, let's say on March 1st, we'll charge you $50 or $500 or $5,000 based on your usage for that month. Because all the other services I do use require you to purchase your credits up front. Interesting. interesting. So how do you feel about that? Your model is way better, honestly, because buying credits up front is a huge pain in the ass. You never know how many exactly you're going to need. And I think that what you describe actually sounds quite lovely and low stress. (laughs) For a user's perspective. Like if I'm the user, well, let's think about, I guess that's kind of how AWS works, right? Like you get billed every month based on what you have used. You don't come in and say, I'm going to use five gigs this month ahead of time. But then what happens on AWS if your credit card fails? I don't know. My credit card hasn't (laughs) failed. I don't want to know. (laughs) They shut down all my storage. I mean, that's the other thing. Like we could be much stricter. Like there's a lot of trust implied with this system. And this is the thing, too, is like the vast majority, this is like completely fine. Like this is only a couple dozen payments every month that we have this issue with. And the vast majority of them are completely fine. And so do we want to let this be a situation of, you know, a few people like spoil it for everybody else? So question for you, why wouldn't this be a hair on fire problem for me if I am a customer of yours and you shut down my account? Won't I know because I can no longer use your API? You're saying a lot of people just bounce, like they don't even notice. So if you uploaded one spreadsheet, let's say your boss gives you a project, you've got 100,000 addresses and you need the census FIPS code for all of them, which is the census identifier that you use to connect to other data sets. It's a very common use case for us. Your boss gives you the spreadsheet. You need to add the FIPS codes to it. You go, you upload the spreadsheet, and then you don't need to do that again. Ah, so this is what you're talking about, how they operate in good faith. They gave you a credit card. They don't see their corporate credit card. They assume you charged it when they did that. And so when the credit card fails, three weeks later, they assume it doesn't matter because I've already paid for it. Right. So this is the other thing is that we have people email us at least once a week. We get somebody emailing us saying, hey, I uploaded this file on February 5th and I didn't get a receipt for it. And then we have to explain, oh, no, you're going to be charged on the first. And then people get it. And we send people an email when they add a credit card to their account explaining this. And it's said all over the website. But it seems like people expect to pay for the spreadsheets right away. Yeah, because it feels like a discrete event. Like yeah. to me, that's what I would think too. I would think I'm doing this discrete event. I will be charged for this specific event. Interesting. But then so for the the API, like I imagine when you add your credit card to a- AWS, for example, can you yeah. remember if they did some sort of card verification on your account or do you just like add it and then it's been a long time but i don't remember any you're talking about like those companies that put like a cent in your account yeah exactly or they just i don't test the card test like like hotels how they put a hold on it i don't think they did anything like that i mean aws is probably to the point where they don't care right if they lose ten thousand dollars a month what do they care? They make a bazillion dollars a month. Right. I mean, if you if your AWS bill is only $5 a month, then you're doing something right. So <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is 
that kind of credit card verification up front seems really painful to everyone. Like it would really yeah. irk me if I try to sign up for a service and they're like, I'm going to charge your credit card five cents to make sure it's a real card. I'd be like, really? No, that's really annoying. What if you had to buy $5 worth of credits or something? Would that still be annoying? Are those credits enough for my spreadsheet that I need with my 10,000 addresses or do I not know until I try to oh, do so, it? Okay. So, so what- are we still talking about the API? Well, yeah, because I, th- I feel like very different use cases to me for the spreadsheet you would just purchase it right away and I would not make you go through the hassle of buying credits in order to run. Like that seems onerous. And really the only reason we have credits is people are like, hey, I work for a big organization and we can't do pay as you go. We need to have a reliable, um, a predictable bill. Can I buy $500 worth? Sure. It, It was because people like actually needed it. Or yeah, like, you know, big organizations, big institutions that have like annual budgets like we don't really push credits it's only kind of there if people need it. i see it creates an incentive for people to buy credits because we give people that the incentive to buy credits is that you get a volume discount on the credit purchase so like let's say that if you were to use let's say 50 dollars worth of usage every month you're only getting that level of discount which is probably around five percent i think if that I should know that off the top of my head and but then if you buy let's say a thousand dollars worth of credits like you're actually getting you know a like a much bigger percentage discount on that but so then if you're not paying for like if you are somebody who uses spreadsheets often then there is an incentive to buy credits and get the discount which is more reliable for us because then we know that we've been paid for your usage right but we're not forcing it on people either Can you separate these discrete events from these API credits or pay as you go? What do you mean? I mean, can you, so everyone who uses a discrete event, can you just charge them for that when it happens? So uploading a spreadsheet is the only discrete event. Yeah. No, yeah, we could do that. Ugh, but you know what, Michelle? What if you have 10, 15, 20 spreadsheets? Right. That's so annoying. Or what if you use the API and you upload spreadsheets, which is another group of users, especially for people who have, we call them like team accounts. So you've got 10 people in your company who are all using Geocodio and you're getting consolidated billing. So let's yeah. say your whole BI team is using Geocodio. Some of the people are using the API and some of the people are using spreadsheets. If we're charging individually for spreadsheets, then like, it could be an opt out thing. Like you could eh. opt for either monthly billing or one time billing, like as it happens billing. So- or maybe we could say if you have a team account, you can only get one monthly invoice. Because then if it's a team account, it's usually like it's like a legit company. It's not just somebody at gmail and then if they don't pay it then i can go chase down their accounts payable department so So that that is actually not terrible how many people do you think you have split on pay as you go versus buying credits especially since you said you're incentivized to buy credits so credits are part of pay as you go okay like it's under that umbrella i don't actually know how many users buy credits but it's not many right like it's most pay as you go customers are paying as they go. So what typically happens when you have these, Stripe has automated dunning, but isn't it just, they just retry the card. They're not emailing the person. They do. They send an email and then they send a couple of emails. And then we also send an email through intercom. And then if the amount is like over $100, I email them, my VA emails them. That doesn't lead us anywhere. You know, we move towards shutting down their account or like finding the email for accounts payable if it's like at Ugh. company. Or yeah. I mean, there was one time I even like DM'd a company on Twitter and I was like, 
I need the email for your accounts payout department so we don't break your website. Thank you. That's pretty rare that I do that. So um, yeah. let's just think about this. If you switched everyone to paying up front, that would decrease your personal like, I guess what I'm trying to say, it's not just getting that two to $500 back. It's also getting all that time and logistics back of all these emails you were sending and all this hunting down people. Yeah, and most of that them. is automated. But yes, I think okay. there is definitely time involved. And I mean, I think, I mean, maybe the problem is we're just too nice, right? Like, <laughs> if we automated yeah. this so that, okay, you've got seven days after the payment fails. And then instead of restricting you to the free tier, we just shut you You're off out. entirely and it's automated, right? Like this is something we talked through a while ago, like sending alerts through the API. I mean, people have actually wanted to be able to get billing information through the API and we have punted on that. But like, you know, sending someone an error back saying this is being rejected because your payment fit, like because your account is delinquent. We don't do that right now. We only shut people down if it's, you know, been several months. But yeah, maybe we're just too nice. So, okay. <laughs> we haven't recorded for like a month, but, and I know our businesses are totally different, right? I mean, but you did just tell me a month ago when I was discussing the same problem with you, <laughs> that if it's a hair on fire problem, like they'll get their shit to get, they'll, yeah, sorry. They'll get it together and they'll pay their bill. Like, we just had this yeah. conversation regarding no, file uploading. Yeah, well, they will. But there's a question of just because, like, if you delete somebody's API key or you freeze their API key, that they will notice and it's a hair on fire problem and you've broken their thing. Just because they will react that way, it doesn't mean you have to or should do that. Right. And I think this is what I struggle with is like, if I was on the receiving end of that and I didn't realize that my corporate card didn't support this kind of purchase or that I had, I don't know, whatever, like there was something wrong with it. And then all of a sudden my website is broken because of this. Like that would stress me out. That would totally throw me into a panic. And I guess I don't want to throw somebody like, yeah, but that's your fault. So you should be. Yeah, what I'm saying is like, we're too nice about this. Maybe we do need to be a little. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be. A little more harsh about it. Two days or three days. But if you're sending five, it sounds like you're sending a whole. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole series of emails that go out. So after they're. X number of emails, if the problem has not resolved, I think just cut them off and it's a problem. They'll reach back out. I mean, they can do whatever they want because they're humans, but theoretically, they have no justification to be pissed if you've sent them five emails, right? right. Like, it's like, dude, you got to read your email. And you guys are so quick to respond. You could have you know, their API key alive again within 24 hours once they got it together. So yeah, I, it, here's my, my initial thought on this is for the size of your business, changing your entire pricing structure just to get two to $500 back does not seem worth it. However, it depends on what you're really getting back. If it's more about trying to get that time back or you're just morally angry that someone is, that this is happening to you. But think of the size of your business. That's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of your business. And changing your whole pricing structure has the possibility of really upsetting people who have been with you for a while who are happy with what you have. Yeah. And this is what it comes down to is that like when you're confronted with a decision, doing nothing is always an option, right? Yes. Like the null option is always available, but we often don't realize that. Yeah. And I think this is why this is a problem that we have kicked around for two years because we do all of this work to think it through. And like, I mean, I'm literally sitting here looking at like a flow chart of all of the different possible permutations of this. And then we get back to it and it's like, what is some smaller way that we can solve this to just make it marginally better? Maybe we should be a bit more harsh. I mean, it's also occurred to me, it's like maybe the first time someone uploads a spreadsheet, 
Then we charge them right away to like make sure the card is good. And then after that, we charge them once a month. But I don't know. That seems complicated, right? That seems complicated. I'm trying to think of other services. I have S3 accounts on three different providers and they all work where they bill you at the end of the month based on that month's usage. But that's the joke with AWS is like, you never know how much your bill is going to be. It's always a mystery. However, well, that's I don't for other reasons too, though. I like, know, right. That's going not to the yeah, AWS dashboard and like actually <laughs> figuring out like what you are paying for something. It's always is fun. Impo- like, I mean, there's separate services built on top of AWS just to tell you what I you're know. paying. Like the fact that you have to pay somebody else to tell you what you're paying AWS is. It's pretty funny. It, absurd. Yeah. I think we talked about how like we don't really send any email like we yeah. sent like maybe two or three product update emails last year. And you know, we have the ability for people to set a billing limit on their account. Okay. Um, having had that experience of the surprise bill, like not wanting anyone to go through that. But we've thought about like having like a weekly wrap-up email that's like, here was your usage this week. Here's your Don't running. Don't do it. No. I hate email. <laughs> Don't do it. Oh. It'd be like a content thing too, where we would put our news no. in there, and then it was like I would unsubscribe from that shit so fast. Oh. As I hate those. Oh, okay. I hate email though, so I'm. I email. like kind of. I enjoy clicking unsubscribe on things. Like so. It's <laughs> funny because uh, Adam Watham sent out his Tailwind update email today, and it makes me so happy because I only get an email from him like once every six months, and so I read them because he only sends out product update emails like literally like three times a year. And so it's great. Whereas all these other places want to send me junk every week. And I'm sure they're useful. That's the thing is I'm not saying their content isn't good, but like, oh my gosh, I cannot unsubscribe fast enough. Like even Harvest. So Harvest (laughs) is a time tracker and they started, they, someone on their team was like, oh, let's send out weekly. Here's how you track your time emails. No, they're the worst. (laughs) Makes me so mad. Like unsubscribe. I know how I spent my time. I can go look at it. Thank you. I've email okay. rage today. Well, Sorry. Maybe we will. So I should put the, the tailwind email. So like Matias had started forwarding a bunch of his email to Intercom because he was getting so much. And so I have really enjoyed unsubscribing him from just all the emails. Billions of emails like he's getting. But the and like usually I just like archive them or unsubscribe when they come in. The tailwind one I, I left in there. I did not touch it and I did not press unsubscribe because it's great. Because he only sends them like once every six months. And so they're actually, we were, you and I were also talking about this last month, whereas signal to noise ratio on your emails. I think a weekly email is a terrible idea personally. Well, we're not going to do that (laughs) with, I mean, but like some people, I guess that should be like an opt-in thing, right? Like some people want that, right? Because you don't want the runaway bill. I feel like we've gone in a circle kind of, and it's like, okay, so what are we getting out of this? Okay, so maybe we could be a bit more strict with when there is a failed payment of shutting people down sooner. We're sending them a billion emails and then we kind of just like let it go. Sometimes we freeze their account. Oftentimes freezing their account just means they're limited to the free tier, which still means they might not even notice. And so maybe that should just be like a full freeze on the account and everything fails. But maybe we keep the rest of the model the same. It feels like low gain to me. And you know your customers better and your business better. The marginal improvement, I mean, that will come, not even improvement, the marginal increase in funds that will come from paying up front just has so many other potential ripple effects for your existing customers. And again, if it were me, I'd do it because, you know, $500 is 33% of what I make. Yeah. But for you guys, it's like what? Very, very small. 
So it's noise. And I'm not saying you should leave money on the table, throw it away. That sounds terrible. I'm just saying the pain and suffering for you guys to restructure your billing program and not even the pain and suffering you have to go through, because I know you said you already have credits available. So it would probably just be, you know, that's the only thing you can use. The impact on your customers, you have tens of thousands of customers. Like people are going to notice. Yeah. And I don't want to. And them most off. of those customers pay on time. <laughs> so, yeah, like most people, it's it's no problem. But I think, yeah. And I think the the work involved is really like after all the emails have been sent, figuring out, okay, who do we have to shut off? Like, should we shut them off? And maybe that should, those, all of those billing emails should be like, if you don't resolve this within seven days, your account will be frozen and you will not yeah. be able to download any of your files. You will not be able to make any requests. Like, yeah, I'm sure this is unintentional, you know, and find a nice way to phrase it, but go update your credit card. Yeah. And I then think, so that, I think that lessens the manual work on our side. I think you should see how far that gets you and reevaluate. But to me, like I said, based on the factors I know about your business, that seems like a good step in the right direction and just see where that gets you. And maybe it doesn't get you far enough and you do end up changing it. But I wouldn't change everything right now. Yeah. I am really curious to see what the email looks like and what the user experience is if your payment fails from AWS. Let me go put a fake credit card in. I was wondering like if anyone listening like has gotten one of those emails. Let us know. Like if yeah. you could forward it to us, that would be really, really interesting. So, okay. Here's a question for you. So I name cheap. So I just got a new business credit card because my number got compromised. And so before they, they must've tried to run my card before it was due because they contacted me via email I think before my, can they, can you even do that? I'd have to double check the emails, but I feel like Namecheap was like, hey, you have a bill due in seven days and your card is expired. Go fix it. They can know that. Like, yeah, like if okay. your credit card is from like 2020, they can see that and send you an email. I guess actually that's, well, so that's interesting. That's actually something we could do is I don't think we're checking that right now. Is, let's say it's somebody who, yeah, used Geocodeo five years ago and then for some reason they didn't need it in, in the intervening five years and now they need it. That credit card is now expired. I don't think we're checking whether the card on file is currently not expired. I don't think we're Okay, let that. me look at... I'm trying to look at these Namecheap emails to see. And that, that could be uh, something... Like, because I remember when my old job, when I was a product manager, we would... Like, that was one of the email series I had to write out was people who have renewal coming up, but their card is expired. Right. Yeah, so that's a good point. They send me an email before they bill me to let me know they're going to bill me, but we'll try your... D okay. So I don't see... I must have deleted the emails. I, I thought I got an email before the card payment failed telling me it was going to fail. But again, I'd have to care, right? To your point, that's not going to solve yeah. your problem because right. they're already done. So Right. Like if it's a magazine care. that you don't read anymore, yeah, like, and then care. it's going to fail, you're like, oh, good. Great. Thank you for taking that off my plate. They have yeah, to actually so care about yeah, the Yeah, that's service. probably not the answer. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think this is good. So be stricter about shutting people off and truly shut them off. Have warnings about that in the email series. So basically be more automated. That's like our solution to everything is be more automated. It's a great like, solution. Be more You're automated. managing to run a multi-million dollar company with two people. So I feel like that's a good solution. Automate all the things. Automate everything. <laughs> and then, yes, checking, like if somebody uploads a spreadsheet checking whether they're i mean maybe just in general we should be just checking whether 
credit cards are expired. And then when somebody goes to the dashboard, which is where if you're an API user, you might go to export your usage. Or if you're uploading a spreadsheet, checking whether the credit card is expired before any new activity takes place and prompting people to update the card. I feel like that's a good uh, step good first to step. take. A first step and see how it's it goes. It's not a do nothing, but it's not a blow everything up either. It's a... Yeah. It's incremental. Which I think, like, you know, a company at this point, like, a lot of things we do are incremental because there's so many ripple effects of every decision. And you kind of, like, you could go into a tailspin about that or you could enjoy that, right? Yeah. And that's just kind of part and parcel of it. And I kind of, sometimes I wonder if that's why there are, you know, serial entrepreneurs who move on to a new business every, you know, five, eight years, because, you know, you get to a certain point and your problems are, they're not like, what should our product be? They're, they're like boring stuff, like about email, like this and, and <laughs> or true. about billing, and right? So billing careful, and emails, right? right? Yeah. And you have to like enjoy, you know, making flowcharts about billing flows like I did. Yeah. And that's not for everybody. Yeah, totally different skill set. But also, if I had to make a 300 page flowchart like you do in the corporate world, like I just, I don't have that kind of energy anymore, you know? All right. Well, this has been a successful workshopping of a Geocodio problem. I like it. I like to talk about Geocodio. Speaking of that survey, so we are still looking for people to take it. According to a sample size calculator I found online, we need like 300 people to take it, which is just, I guess, under half of the people who will listen to this on the first day it airs. So if half of you go out and take the survey, then I can tell potential advertisers that we have a statistically significant survey result when I tell them what our gender and income breakdown. Do you want to know that, by the way? Are you curious? I am curious. Okay. Percentage of listeners who are male versus female, what's your guess? 80 male. 76% male. Oh, nice. I was close. Work situation. What percentage do you think are employee an employee and they have side projects? The majority. 53%, which is the majority. Yeah. Okay. Do we have any full-time side project people? We do. 26% are full-time on their own uh, product or service business. Another small percentage are consulting plus side projects. And only a very small percentage are employees with no side projects. Also, a bunch of people are freelance or consulting full time. That makes sense. Which to me. makes sense. What do you think percentage of people who are between the ages of 30 and 49? 85, 90. Yeah, actually, it's 85. Nice. You know our <laughs> audience. This is really impressive. Okay. But, and I then mean, I know our audience. Okay. And then what percentage has income between $100,000 and $200,000 a year? 70? 47. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's our little survey. That's it's fun. Totally anonymous. Like, it's just, yeah. Kind of Michelle, if people want to take the survey, where can they find it? So they should go to our Twitter account at okay. Software Sochpod, and it is our pinned tweet. Nice. So if everyone, while well, you're out for your walk right now, you're doing the dishes, you're out for a run, when you finish up with that, if you wouldn't mind moseying over to our Twitter account and taking the survey, we would really appreciate it. Cool. You know, we should get swag. And then we could sw- send people swag for taking the survey, and that'd be super fun. That would be. Though swag is expensive, so we would need a lot of advertisers to pay for that. Oh, yeah. Problems. Well. Maybe we'll workshop those problems on a future episode. <laughs> it would just be cool. Like, <laughs> people are always sending me swag, and I love it. I'm I like, know, oh, yeah. man. It's fun. 
You're right, though. We got to be big time before we can have swag. Someone suggested to me that we should have a software social conference. I was like, that's an idea. That would be fun. I was, I, I was talking about how, you know, I mean, obviously, neither of us have the time or energy, but it'd be cool to build like a, a community around this. Yeah. Oh, it was actually um, somebody suggested that in the survey that we have like oh. a Discord or a Slack or something. Yeah. It'd be cool to build a community around this, which is it in and of itself a full time job. So neither of, I can, neither of us can do that. But they were like, oh, maybe you should just have a conference where you can just all go and hang out it'd be like it's like that would be fun you know where it should be mexico city yes <laughs> definitely where it should have it should be okay we're out of today everybody who is running their dog is tired they're like you're doing tired. good the dishes are Keep so going. done at this point <laughs> all right we will talk to you next week huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show chris from chipper ci the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry. Nate Ritter of Room Steals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabelles, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender. Brendan from Feederloop. Pascal from Sharpen.Page. Lynn Romick from Convini. Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm. Jessica Malnick. Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker. Eldon from Nodal Studios. Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.